1: I of want to buy a bottle of water. Okay, hey,
4: you want some of this? Oh, no, you got water.
5: My producer, Austin, and I are killing time in between interviews in the East Village. That right there is the—oh my god, Austin, look where we are. Yep. That right there—wait, stop. Oh shit, we just walked past the— We're in the middle of the thing, we're safe. That is the newsstand where Red worked. okay, so we're at St. Mark's and 3rd. That's the hotel. Holy shit. Oh, that's St. Mark's. That's 13 3rd Avenue. Yep. That's okay. the storefront. 13 3rd Avenue is the storefront where Rebecca and Billy lived. Back then, this place was flypaper for weirdos. Now, it's a salon called Hairmates. This is Thirteenth 3rd Avenue. Wow,
1: it is pretty big in there, huh? Room enough for four rows of chairs to go all the way back with a reception in the front. And it looks like a little kitchen or office in the back. It's pretty big.
5: Standing here, I try to imagine what it looked like that day. The day that changed everything. The day Rebecca came home to find the storefront blocked off with police tape. The window blown out. Cops everywhere. The day that Billy was shot. From Crime Town, I'm till Tillett Wright. And this is the ballad of Billy Balls.
2: I might be one of those people that comes alive in danger and romance. A lot of people are afraid of crime in New York City, afraid that there's no such thing as a safe neighborhood anymore. Afraid of... And off the elevator comes Billy Balls, and it's called Love at First Sight.
3: When no words...
2: And I come up to the storefront on Thirteenth Third Avenue where we live, and there's orange tape all over. And they says, William Heitzman, is shot five times, and he's in such-and-such hospital.
5: Chapter 2. He's not done yet.
2: My mind was just fucked and disoriented. And they told me the wrong hospital. And I went there, and it says, this is the wrong hospital. And he's in such-and-such. And I ran there, and they told me, He's uh, emptied the blood bank on his
5: type. Rebecca finally found Billy at Cabrini Medical Center.
2: He was in rough shape, but he was alive. I saw him the first time. He was way in the distance in almost like a, a shrine. Like, it's so far back. It's dark back there and there was a nurse changing his sheet like you you change the diaper of a baby and he was like being turned over and his head kind of came my way but his soul was floating above his body. It looked like he was made of Crisco. His soul was not in his body. It was floating above him. His ankle was handcuffed to the rail of the bed and next to his shoulder was an armed pig. Rebecca says Billy was
5: being guarded by the cops even though it didn't seem like he was going anywhere.
2: And first of all, he had a trachea respirator down his his windpipe and I took a picture of his belly where there were big meat hooks holding his belly together and it was sl- slashed all the way across three times and big meat hooks holding it together cause it wasn't even sewn together yet and he had stitches uh, here cut co- where his collarbone once was, they removed his collarbone which was the favorite part, my favorite part of his body was his goaty, cute little collarbones and chest. And when I saw his stitches and his collarbone, I, my knees buckle and for the first and only time in my life, I started to faint. And he said, he said to the guard, Give her your Yeah, She's fainting. Uh, he was a stupid pig and he didn't do shit. And the nurse is bringing him a plate of a chicken leg and this big solid food, which makes no sense whatsoever. How are you going to feed somebody holding their belly together with meat hooks? This big solid food. And that's the day when I'm walking down the hall and he shouts to me, baby girl, do what you want. What did that mean? That meant do what the fuck I want. Like, he's cutting me loose because he is in some deep shit and he knows it. You know what I'm saying? And I was freaking the fuck out. And yes, I was crying like a a banshee nonstop. And I didn't know what the fuck to do, but I did know what the fuck to do. I knew exactly what to do. My instincts just told me what the fuck to do.
5: That's after the break.
6: Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter
5: With Billy in the hospital, Rebecca went back to 13 3rd Avenue and tried to piece together what had happened. I see Ming the super... One of the only witnesses was the building's maintenance guy, a dude named Ming.
2: And Ming saw a cowboy-hatted person...
5: Walk with Billy. They went the way Rebecca remembers it. Ming said Billy and this man in a cowboy hat walked around the neighborhood. Then
2: they came back, they went downstairs. Then
5: went down in the basement through a hatch in the sidewalk. Billy came up, went to the back of the. Billy came back up alone and went into the house. And then
2: that dude with the cowboy hat broke down the door, shooting.
5: So then the question became,
2: who's the guy in the cowboy hat? That was an undercover narcotics detective.
5: How do you know the guy in the cowboy hat was a cop?
2: He was an undercover narcotics detective. How do you
5: know
2: that? Billy told me that. And he came to see Billy in the hospital when he was alive. And the he cop said... The who
5: shot him came to see him in the hospital?
2: Billy said to me that the dude that shot him came to the hospital and said to him, if it was up to me, you wouldn't be in here.
5: Rebecca realized that she needed to
2: talk to a lawyer. And I called Mark Pines. Mark Pines Pines is a videographer that invented music video. He knew Billy and respected him. I called him and I told him what the fuck. And he told me two of the heaviest lawyers in New York City right off the bat because it was clearly a big civil suit, you know, and some horrible crime against Billy Balls. And they were hot on it because they saw big bucks. You know how the fucking lawyers are because it was an obvious civil suit.
5: Do you know the lawyer's names?
2: No, but... It's another thing that I just can't fucking remember because my mind has just put this out, you know?
5: And then Rebecca says something really weird started to happen.
2: I did receive a creepy, threatening phone call in the night at 13 Third Avenue. What is the phone call I can't tell you that exactly, but they were saying weird shit. I don't remember. It was just short, and I can't quite remember it. It was a scare tactic. It was definitely a police-type guy.
5: Not long after,
2: Rebecca got the worst phone call of all. I know it was... Around my mother's birthday which is June 17th and uh, that morning I pissed these little white particles were in my piss like little weird white particles it was really weird and out the window the brick was all dusty crumbling you know there was rags rats and shit outside the window and the window's all covered with grimy shit and the sunlight streams through all that grimy shit which intensifies the griminess you know and on the radio was Jennifer Holliday's song and um Telling you you're not gonna leaving. You're the best thing I ever had. When the hospital called and told me that they had taken him to the thirteenth floor, yes, thirteen is favorite number, for some reason. And that he started vomiting bile, which is, bile is from, you know, kidneys or something. And his heart stopped. He didn't, he died. And the dude told me to come down and identify the body. That's how he phrased it. He said, can you you come down to identify the body of William Heitzman? And I just, of course, just went into this kind of, like, white
5: Less than two weeks after Billy was shot, he was dead. And Rebecca had to go to the city morgue to identify his body.
2: And I went with Billy's very close friend, Robbie Bowman, who is a musician, great musician. And Robbie went with me to the medical examiner on First Avenue to identify the body, and the little Puerto Rican girl rolled out a gurney with a sheet over it and pulled back the sheet. And there he was with the pinch of the devil and a little kind of smile of mischief. And his beard was starting to have a five o'clock shadow, and he had a towel wrap, wrapped. Turban style around the top of his head and that fucking number on the toe and I screamed and I said He's not he's not done yet. He's not done yet I went to the actors Fund because I needed to get money for his cremation And I explained he was a rock and roll piano player and that he was killed and that I needed help with the funeral costs and the cremation. The little old lady, sweetest, tiny, tiny, little old lady arranged a check. And when I went down there to the funeral parlor, which was on 28th and Lexington, the man behind the desk, right inside the glass doors, got on the phone to call for the body to be transferred to the funeral parlor. And they told him that the body had been taken to Potter's Field.
5: A Potter's Field is a cemetery where unclaimed bodies are buried in mass graves.
2: And I said, what? What the fuck? What's the fucking phone number? I got the number of the Potter's Field and I called that number. And on the other end, it was the Gravediggers. And I says, I will need the body. Where is the body of William Heitzman? And they laughed. They laughed on the other end of the phone. They laughed. And the bottom fell out of everything.: Yeah, my heart burst because I fucking loved him, you know. And they told me, "You can just spend the rest of your life running and pursue this. But you know what, I don't give a fuck about that. But it was my heart burst.
4: <laughs> I miss him so much. I love him so much.
5: This is a tape Rebecca made when Billy died.
4: My baby boy. <laughs> my c- c- cuddle mate. I remember when he would s- sleep, uh, he would blow air through his voluptuous, tender lips and kind of a bubble go. And his breath was so delicious that I would snuggle up to close to where the bubble of air is escaping through his lips. And breathe it was like breathing this delectable breath of life, this delicious smelling and tasting breath of life. I miss you so much. And my head is sort of closing in on myself and you know, when I start to feel like everything else is kind of fading, I'm definitely gonna have to reproduce to give uh, somebody else a chance, you know. Just watch how cool they could be, because there's some spirit floating around that just needs a little human body to crawl into. And I, you and I know who that spirit is. And I thought, if I got a baby, well, that, that would be okay, you know.
2: I remember just the raw feeling of the f- the fucking pain of the grief and I would like to not remember that feeling cuz the only thing that stopped it was you being born all right
5: rebecca did have a baby me i'm not
2: You smell like clean laundry. Huh? You smell like clean laundry. Don't tell anybody.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Billy was not my father. I was born a couple of years after he died. I know that Billy's sudden death broke my mother's heart and her mind. And I also know that if he hadn't been killed, I wouldn't be alive.
4: I love you so much, man.
2: I love you so much, my butt. My golden, orange butt.
5: So now, I want to do something I have no idea how to do. I want to track down Billy's body and try to solve his murder. I want to give my mom an ending to the ballad of Billy Balls. In the next chapter of The Ballad of Billy Balls. Oh my God. I Um, saw some yearbook photos in there. Did you fucking find Billy's yearbook? Yeah. Crimetown is Zach Stewart-Pontier and Mark Smirling. The Ballad of Billy Balls is hosted by me, Io It Wright, and made in partnership with Cadence 13. We want to hear from you. You can find me on the internet. I'm Io Loves You on Everything. And we set up a voicemail for you to call us and share your thoughts on the case or your feelings or what you ate for breakfast. We'll air a good one next week. The number is 570- Three nine two nine six six zero. Our website is theballadofbillyballs.com, and you'll find a discussion board there too. The show is produced by me, Kevin Shepard, and Ryan Swikert. Our senior producer is Austin Mitchell. Editing by Zach Stewart Pontier and Mark Smirling. Fact checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed and sound designed by Kenny Kusiak. Music by Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Dark Allies by Light Asylum. Archival research by Brennan Reese. If you want to know more about my story, pick up my memoir, Darling Days. Thanks to Drew Nellis, Jesse Rudoy, Ula Kulpa, Jamie Raisin, Wade Slitkin, Daniela Araya, Rachel Lee Wright, Emily Wiedemann, Green Card Pictures, Alex Weinberg, Alessandro Santoro, Bill Clegg, Ben Davis, Oren Rosenbaum, and the team at Cadence 13. And of course, Rebecca, without whom none of this would be possible.